there, folks, and welcome or welcome back to Nippon Trading International's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajima, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Emil Gorgis of realestate.jp. He's a Tokyo real estate agent who specializes in serving international or mixed nationality families who are looking for the perfect family home. So Emil's an Australian. He's been living here in Japan for over two decades now. And for about half of that time, he's been buying, selling, and managing real estate properties in Tokyo on behalf of his own family and a great many happy clients. And he also acts as a mortgage broker on behalf of his clients. So he's got dedicated loan officers in many of the Japanese mega banks. And if you're a regular listener of the podcast, you probably already know him from our JREP, the Japan Real Estate Experts Panel Sessions which means that you're already aware of the fact that the man is an absolute fountain of wisdom on all things related to real estate in Japan, and in particular to family homes, the greater Tokyo metropolitan area, and mortgages. And most importantly, he's incredibly generous with his time and advice, which he's more than happy to provide at no cost or commitment to anyone asking. So if you've been thinking about buying your home in Tokyo, but you've been sitting on the fence for a while, or you just want to have a chat in English with a real expert, Drop him a line on sales at realestate.jp. Hit him up today and start exploring your options. All right, so for today's episode, this is an audio conversation again with a couple who are already living in Japan. They've been renting a home to date and they're now in the、uh, market for a family home to purchase. Not quite satisfied with their current city's offerings and they were wondering where in the country they might want to move to. So, we talk a lot about different cities, which are more family friendly, more foreigner friendly, convenient, urban versus rural,、um, which locations tend to hold their value better, and so forth. And then also about the feasibility of renting their home out when they're not in the country. How does that work with a home loan that's already in place? Would the lender allow it? And what can be done in case they don't? Whether they should work with us、uh, or directly via a Japanese realtor, which then led us to a conversation about how things work in Japan realtor wise, so buyer side agents, seller side agents, and、uh, so forth. And finally, a bit about buying new as opposed to second hand. How old is an old house? What are typical maintenance and renovation costs, as well as other costs of home ownership and, and et cetera? So, a bit of a twist on the usual non resident home purchase conversation that we normally have here on the podcast. Enjoy the chat, and I'll see you again on the other side. Okay, cool. So,、um, I'll just scroll down through your message one more time. So, You were at Urayasu and you don't like the prices there, right?、Uh, I, don't, I think we don't like the prices here in terms of a longer term investment, is what I would say, because we just don't know ever what the future holds.、Yep. So while we can afford it, we don't know how that would be long term. Or if we can even come back into the country、right. if the、yeah. pandemic happens again or something. Yeah, so coming back into the country, I totally agree. That was an unbelievable fiasco. But just to maybe slightly set your mind at ease, Japan economically is very much a first world country. So they're not going to suddenly retroactively change、um, property ownership laws on every foreigner. That would never happen here. Um, they could definitely put in some cooling measures like Singapore did or Australia or Hong Kong, but that normally applies, if similar to what they did in those countries, that applies for future purchases. They don't retroactively take properties from, from that would never happen in a first world country. So I, I would not assume 
barring World War Three or anything of that sort, I would not assume that would be an issue in Japan. And also, just bear in mind that tenancy laws here mean that even if you are in the country, you can't. There's no inspections. You can't enter a property while it's being tenanted. So there's not a huge advantage to investing in your backyard anyway. Sure, sure. But otherwise, so what are you looking for? When you say investment, is it a cash flow investment? Or are you just looking for something that might retain its value so you could maybe sell it at a profit in in the future? Or what exactly were you having in mind? Yeah, so for me, I, I mean, I even question investment. I don't think of a, a property here as, as an investment uh, in that sense. Like I, I imagine it being something that will lose value over time. For us, it is more... Uh, place a place that we would live whether we are here you know full time through the year or we're here three to six months through the year uh, just something that's not necessarily a money drain yes I think maybe that's more accurate not investment not a money drain okay so essentially a family home with reasonable price that you may also use as a holiday home if you ever move out that kind of thing yeah yeah yes. i think that would be a good definition okay and for it not to be a money drain when you're away from the country i'm assuming you're considering renting it out short term is that right if if that's possible i know that the the, the loans uh for a primary residence you can't um you can't do that so yeah I, I don't know what is possible as far as renting it out uh, or if that's something we can pay for cash outright, but I, I hear that the ones that are steals are, are not going to be anywhere near an intercity. Um, usually correct, unless you're talking about condo units in slightly older blocks, they could be a bit more affordable, but depending on size, I mean, foreigners are usually not content with the typical Japanese apartment size. So we naturally drift towards bigger ones and they do cost a lot in Japan just because space is a premium here, right? Sure, sure. Mm. I think and for, for now we're in, what, 90 meters? Is it 90, 90 square? Like 70. No, the 70 was our last one, which, it, I mean, right now we have a family of five, so that's, that's, uh, it's a, that's a tight living space. Uh, obviously, when kids start moving out of the home that's a different uh, scenario but but still it would be ideal as you say something a little bit bigger would be ideal yep um well if you're purchasing with a loan you're right the loan the terms of the home loan dictate that you're not allowed to rent it out people do do it and get away with it usually the banks don't find out and if they do they i mean Depending on the lender, it, it might be feasible to convince them that you're only out of the country temporarily. But yes, they do have the option to ask that you pay the loan outright if you started renting out the property or just at least change to an investment loan, which terms are not as attractive as a home loan. So that's correct. But if you are to be purchasing in cash, what's your budget? Because a family of five would normally not be a super cheap property unless you're out in the sticks. Yeah, I mean, if we put everything in, probably fifty thousand max, um, and and that's why I think I would rather just get a, a loan uh, and not rent it out. Yep, understood. Um, well, in that case, I mean, from our perspective, you, you, I don't know if you already read a little bit of what I forwarded, and you know what we do or not. But from our perspective, you're 
basically shopping for a family home if and when in the future you'll do something else with it that's maybe an option for down the track but essentially you're looking for a place that you'd be comfortable living in would that be about right yeah i think so okay and have you checked whether you qualify for a loan or not um yeah, i i i guess begun discussions with it we, we still need our pr to go through so we're waiting on that okay how, how far away is that do you think uh, it, that will be in October is when I can actually file the papers. So there's You're looking ahead. Here. Yeah, yeah. There, there's been no movement at this point. Okay. Well, the houses you'd be looking at from memory, a PR takes up to a year to to be approved. So did the bank tell you that they would um, qualify you for a loan once you apply, or are they waiting for the approval? Um. You know. Sorry. John, I don't know the answer to that. Oh, sorry. Someone just could not rang our doorbell. You're right. We just ran away. You're so right. I actually don't know the answer to that. But <laughs> no worries. I can wait. All good. My 10.30, my 1030 so. became 11, so it's all good. Okay, good. I'm sorry about that. Um, I would. My guess is that he he would not have problems getting qualifying. But as soon as you apply, you think? Yeah. Uh, probably, I would think. But I, I'm not, you know, I, I'd have to ask him when he comes back. Okay, no worries. I'll just wait for a second. Okay. I'm glad he heard that. I didn't hear it at all. So I was very <laughs> confused why he just suddenly jumped up and ran away. <laughs> yeah, I think he's coming back. I, yeah, I was unable to answer that question. So why is this specific? I think the question was, would you be? Do you know if you'd be able to qualify for a loan as soon as you were applying for? Um, from what I understand, as soon as the papers are in, uh, there is a couple of banks that will that you can start getting uh, the loan. So you don't even have to have the PR finished. You just have to show that the PR has been uh, initialized, that you're in the process of doing that. Okay, so conceivably we could start looking at properties around October. I'm just thinking ahead properties that you see on the market now again assuming it's not a complete shack in the woods they'd probably be gone within a few months if they're priced right so probably not much of a point in actually reviewing properties before maybe late september ish i think actually going to a physical property yes but, yeah. it, but it, it, they would still give us an idea if you just even have stuff that you can forward or say hey this is about what you'd be looking at I mean, that would be still valuable because that will inform us, do we want, is this a place that we would want to be at? We can explore the city or the town and, and get a feel for that. But I, I think you're right. As far as actual walkthroughs and, and being able to purchase, we would probably wait till then. Okay. So again, our service, we can definitely do everything that you've just, um, that you've just asked about and we obviously we'll give you consulting and advice along the way but to be honest if you're talking about a family home that you're going to actively go and you know conduct walkthroughs which is usually takes a couple of months and you you know you go out every weekend with an agent there's no point in paying a middleman for that i think um you can definitely bring us on as consultants to make sure that you know we hold your hand around the way we tell you what questions to ask and depending on which realtor we work with you work with we might be able to jump in the conversation and give some advice um in, in an active forum of your, yourselves the realtor and ourselves um but mm -hmm. i don't think you need us for full facilitation 
go out with you for instance i mean that sort of thing we can definitely do via zoom we can ask some questions i mean you can bring us on as consultants for a few hundred dollars as opposed to full facilitation for a few thousand dollars i think in your case it's probably more cost efficient i mean we're happy to take your money but i don't think you need full facilitation we can put you in touch with a friendly tokyo agent who would be able to help you look at homes and organize viewings with the seller's agent that sort of thing and we'll just come in to consult you along the way if you need us to okay uh what is that so if we went down that path what do we lose as far as you're saying to the thousands of dollars uh, price point versus the hundreds of dollars price point well, for the full facilitation, we'll do everything on your behalf. So we'll be in touch with the agents, we'll do the negotiations, we'll physically conduct the due diligence, receive the documents, we can attend meetings on your behalf and sign documents on your behalf. And then um, we can work with a wider range of realtors because we can also work with the strictly Japanese ones and just give them a Japanese face to deal with so they don't freak out at the gaijins. Um, whereas with... If we do it on a consulting basis, we'll put you in touch with foreigner-friendly English-speaking agents who are used to working with foreigners. They're still going to be realtors, so they're still transaction-oriented. They're not necessarily going to tell you what questions to ask or give you, you know, practical advice on which property is better, if it's cheaper, but it could be better for you kind of thing. But we definitely will be able to give you that advice directly and tell you what to ask the realtor that you're working with. We can review the documents before you sign them and tell you what to um, ask to have amended, that sort of thing. But we're not going to do anything with third parties. We're just going to be consulting directly to you and you'll be um, the, the face of the operation, so to speak. You're going to be the ones dealing with the realtors, um, insurance companies, renovators. Again, we'll make recommendations if you want us to and we'll um, point you in the right direction. But you'll be the ones dealing with them on a consulting scheme. Okay. Okay. And and do we have the option later on? Let's say we've been doing this for months. We're not really finding anything. Do we have the option later on to upgrade or to to move to the next level? Yes, but there's not going to be any um, crediting for the few hundred dollars that you've spent. We'll just start the sure, process sure. with full facilitation uh, from that point. Okay. Okay. I think um, a question I have. Um, we we mentioned this as a as a Tokyo approach but we're not totally sure we want Tokyo oh no I mean at to Tokyo no no it's just yeah. that in Tokyo it's easier for us to put you in touch with foreigner friendly agents in other locations they're not as prolific there's not many of them depending on the city there might be none of them whatsoever so a Tokyo agent is just going to come in if, if you know how the real estate transactions work in Japan there's a usually a seller side agent and a buyer side agent so the seller hires an agent to list the property and represent them in the sale. And then depending on whether that agent is willing to share their commission or not, they might open up for buyer side agents to bring potential buyers over. So we'll put you in touch with a buyer side agent who is foreigner friendly and can communicate and do the transaction in English. And they will be contacting those um, seller side agents who are listing properties on your behalf and organizing everything with a buyer side agent. From your perspective, it doesn't cost anything else. It's just the seller agent is not going to be collecting the commission from both sides. So some of them are a bit reluctant to work with buyer side agent. They want to first try and get both commissions and sell it on their own. That's the only thing. So some properties, if you work with a buyer side realtor, some properties just might not be available because that seller side agent doesn't want to share their commission and they're not opening the sale to buyer side agents. 
Okay, but do the do the Tokyo based um, English speaking real estate agents um, also um, show properties outside of Tokyo? They do like sometimes. Sometimes they'll have to go there in person because that seller side agent won't 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 want to do a walkthrough with foreigners, and in which case they might charge you just for the trip. But generally speaking, they would, especially if the property, because you're not talking about a, again a shack in the woods in uh, Akia, like an abandoned home right. that's thirty, forty, fifty thousand bucks. You're talking about a property that's probably going to be at least two, three hundred thousand with a loan. So for that, they'll definitely handle anywhere in the country. The question is whether they will have to attend in person and have to charge you for the trip or not. But if we have to go with you in person, we're going to have to charge for trip expenses as well. So there's not a huge difference there. Okay. Um, and then another question we had, um, we're, we're overwhelmed with, I mean, depends an entire country. And we're overwhelmed with trying to narrow down where we're interested in looking for properties. Well, so it's a family. That, it's a family home, so you're always going to be the best filter because it's primarily a lifestyle choice. Obviously, we can say that this city has good population statistics and looks like it has a good economy, and property prices have been doing maybe okay there. But it doesn't mean that you're going to enjoy living in that city. So, there's really no substitution for you physically going and feeling the place out and seeing if you want to live there or not. Agree. I mean, what, what sort of suggestions would you expect us to give? Like, this is a nice, it's got a beautiful mountain view or, you know, there's many shops. So, I mean, you, you can definitely point us in the right direction and we'll try to recommend some places. But obviously, we haven't lived or been everywhere in Japan ourselves. So it's right. pretty limited. Right, right, of course. Yeah. No, I think it's more just questions like uh, where we're at right now is, is, is very bikeable for the kids. They're not going to... Uh, have the bike in tiny tight streets um and, and maybe that alone is already a huge limiter say that might that might cut out a lot of japan right but, there but but, yeah. but it's even stuff like uh we know larger cities that we would look at i mean it's the major cities like fukuoka sendai uh, Hokkaido, uh, sapporo and, and tokyo um that's already a huge like gamut there between hokkaido and fukuoka yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. you got okinawa so in there too really okay. right right well it, it and and that's really it is, is all we know is the major cities and and we know now that there's like smaller sections of the cities and then your smaller neighborhoods within those sections uh it, it's very daunting to look at all the options, any of the options online. Well, the first say, thing is, oh yeah, that's a good area. The first thing is, is that you've mentioned that you want, if possible, you want the property to retain its value. So obviously the structure doesn't retain its value, but the land, if it's in a big city or in a, at least a semi-large metropolitan center, the land can hold its value. If Japan's economy does well overall, for example, Tokyo, Osaka, Fukuoka, there are some cities that always... Um, I shouldn't say always, but at least since late 2012 have been rising when the economy does well. So the moment you step into smaller um, second tier, third tier cities, again, lifestyle choice wise, notwithstanding, they don't tend to hold their value as well. They'd be stagnant or slightly dropping in value unless, you know, something miraculous happens to the economy and the population. So if you do want to have the best potential of retaining value, maybe you should stick to the bigger cities. Which cities would you count as those first tier ones then? 
Well, the ones that yeah. So population-wise, the top seven are well. Tokyo is not officially a city, but Tokyo, Yokohama, um, Osaka, Sapporo, Fukuoka, Nagoya, and Kyoto. Other cities that have been doing well in recent years, um, obviously Kawasaki, I include in Tokyo as well. It's very similar in dynamics to to Tokyo. It's it's difficult to find cheaper properties there. But other cities that have been doing well um, when the economy did well, not to that extent, but um, Chiba, um, Kobe, again, down here in Kyushu, um, Itoshima, which is a small... Have you been to Itoshima when you went down to Fukuoka? No. It's um, just 35 to 45, depending on where along the coast you are, but somewhere between 35 to 50 minutes by train from uh, Fukuoka. And it's a beautiful beach community, lots of galleries and cafes and um, beach festivals and events and stuff in the summer. Those kinds of areas have been going up slightly, um, but Mm. nowhere to the extent of the larger metropolitan centers that we've just mentioned. So... Again, if, if value retainment is one of the top, top criteria, then I would probably stick to the bigger cities. But it, it sounds like that's a double-edged sword, too, meaning the prices are going to be lower um, in those areas. Yes, but Fukuoka and Yokohama, for example, still have a fair amount of room to grow. They're nowhere near Tokyo and Osaka levels. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sapporo, for example, is um, also one of the top seven cities, but while property prices have gone up there, they haven't gone up to a huge extent and winter makes maintenance and more expensive. If you ever rent yeah. it out, you'll have longer vacancies in the winter. So from an investment perspective, I maybe wouldn't recommend Sapporo necessarily unless it's smack in the middle of the city. We interrupt this broadcast to tell you about Tokyo Family Stays. They're a short-term rentals company in Tokyo, and they offer a home-away-from-home experience, which is just perfect for remote working, quarantining, if that's still a thing, or if you just need somewhere quiet to get away from the world. They offer a variety of options for families, corporate relocations, or even if you're simply transitioning between homes in Tokyo. The properties are super comfortable, tastefully furnished, fully equipped with all amenities, and they accommodate up to 10 people. So really the only thing you'll need to bring with you is your toothbrush and maybe a change of clothes. They come with fast unlimited wireless internet, dedicated workspaces, and fully equipped kitchens, and they're just a delight to stay in. Fantastic alternative to Japanese business hotels, which if you've ever stayed in one, you probably know they're tiny, they're noisy, fine for a night or two if you're on your own, but longer term or with a family, you'll probably feel you're in a jail cell very quickly in a Japanese business hotel. So if you want to give yourself a sense of space and freedom by renting a real home, with comfortable Western beds, including all the necessities like baby bedding, children's toys, high chairs, etc. You definitely want to reach out to Tokyo Family Stays. They've been at it for over a decade. They're a fully licensed minpaku or short-term stay operator. And as a special bonus for our viewers and listeners, they're also throwing in a breakfast basket upon arrival for anyone who books and mentions the Japan Real Estate Podcast or NTI. And not only for guests, if you're a property owner, you've got an investment property that you want to tweak for higher profit, or a holiday home that you want to rent out when you're not using it via short-term stays, drop them a line today, see how they can help you maximize your property's income. And again, as a special bonus to our viewers and listeners, they're also offering a free audit of your existing short-term stay listings without any obligation whatsoever. So feel free to reach out to them at tokyofamilystays.com. Well worth a visit. 
And again, if you're in the market for a family home in or around the Tokyo metropolitan area, Emil's your man. Don't be shy to reach out to him as well at sales at realestate.jp. And now back to the podcast. Yeah, we, we just, you know, we've been trying to, to make a, a note of the things that we have valued and things we have. We've lived in Japan a few different times now. And, um, and it's always an interesting experience of trying to find your housing when you arrive each time, um, partially because of the discrimination, but partially just um, identifying which neighborhood will work and which won't quickly. Um, and so, I mean, we found things like some of our temporary housing was in Shinagawa, for example. And Shinagawa is a wonderful place for adults, but it's not so great for children. I mean, my children can't um, cycle down the streets very well there. Um, whereas um, we lived in um, Toyosuku at one point, and their sidewalks are really wide, and um, our young children were even able to, you know, walk, cycle safely through the whole area. So um, things like that are a big deal to us. Yep. Um, and I mean, newer areas like Toyosu, Urayasu has new sections in it too, um, seem to be the ticket for that. Um, and I guess that's something we're curious about is, I, I, I'm assuming those kinds of communities exist in any of these cities, but I, I haven't been to some of them very much. So, yeah. so I don't know. Um, well, from that aspect and to couple that with what we've just discussed about value, um, I would probably consider uh, Kobe and Fukuoka primarily. Um, suburban Kyoto, maybe if you're into that, but Kyoto is very heavy in a traditional Japanese kind of way. I mean, fully, fully foreign families often find it um, stifling <laughs> a little bit. Um, otherwise, yeah, I'd say Kobe, Fukuoka, um, suburban Yokohama, definitely. Um, but suburban Yokohama becomes very mountainous, which is not, again, not yeah, very attractive for bikes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so questions about yeah, I mean Fukuoka was was one that was very appealing to me, especially with Busan right across the way. Oh, I'm biased um, on Fukuoka. I've lived here for eleven, twelve years now, and <laughs> absolutely in love. Best so, city I've ever lived in. My, my only concern about it is just the heat, and the world's getting hotter, and it's already hot. And so I, I don't know what that looks like. If there's a way to solve that, um, it, like how bad is the grid there? I, the, I I know that I've heard that Tokyo's at like over capacity and and is is Fukuoka in the same? I know there's a, a split in the, the electrical grid. Like, are, are these the type of things that that you can advise on, or that, that we should be thinking about, or is it not a problem? Um, it could definitely be a long term problem, but I would believe that most larger metropolitan centers in Japan would have to deal with that. And Fukuoka is an affluent city with a very advanced kind of modern thinking mayor. So I obviously I don't have a crystal ball, but I would generally assume that if there is a problem here, it would be handled. Um, but I mean, did you, did you find Tokyo to be less humid and, and, and hot than Fukuoka? <laughs> no, not really. I mean, I do remember going up to there and it was extremely hot. But but as I'm looking at the temperatures, it was during the summer. Yeah. As I look at the temperatures now, I'm, I'm seeing that they're very, very similar uh, at this point. And humidity, uh, and I would humidity. say. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. we've got it's the ocean like breeze. We definitely have the ocean breeze. I mean, right. there's a real coastline here as opposed to Tokyo Bay. So, I 
again, I feel that it may be, it, it definitely population and, and pressure on grid-wise, it's definitely doing better than Tokyo. Um, Kobe, again, I, I think is the same. Have you been to Kobe? Uh, just briefly, I think, just that they walked through. The through there. We walked the hills yeah. area. It was, it was very beautiful. I, I did like the hilliness, but <laughs> that goes against what we asked for. But yeah. briefly, we've been there. Yeah, it, the what they call the center in, in Kobe, which is south of the mountain range, basically along the coast, is very family-friendly and, as you say, very beautiful, I find. And it also has that kind of ocean breeze that makes humidity a bit more bearable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely all for that. I definitely skip Nagoya and Sapporo for the reason that... I mean, Nagoya and Osaka tend to be very industrial, so I probably wouldn't look at them if you don't like Tokyo that much. Um, Sapporo again for maintenance issues I would skip so big cities wise that probably leaves us Chiba, Yokohama, Kobe and Fukuoka and if you want to be a bit more adventurous then again places like Itoshima, um, Kurume a bit to the south of uh, Fukuoka Uh, some of the smaller townships between Osaka and Kyoto might suit you but I'm not sure how urban you're feeling whether you you know is Inaka life, if it's like mild Inaka, is that okay for you? Inaka being countryside, I, sorry. So we, we, we have a car, we, we do drive, but I, I do like the walkability. I do like the energy of people around. I wish I could have it all, but uh, I, I think, I, I guess some of it is, how, how far would I have to drive to get that walkable feeling? How far before you get to any actual city because we've been out in, in narita and that's that gets pretty boring country real quick. yes <laughs> I, I don't like narita much um yeah i would say um some of the smaller townships around chiba might be feasible within say 30 minutes to city center and still retain good pricing um little bit off the center, not actual different towns, but a little bit off central Saitama is also quite nice. And we can get better prices there compared to Kawasaki, Tokyo. Um, but otherwise, yeah, it kind of sounds like Kobe or Fukuoka, I would say. Uh, there we I, go. I think you're back. Sorry, which, which where okay. did you lose me? You're saying you think some of the, the towns around Chiba, and that's where we lost you. Okay, and also suburban Saitama? So Saitama City, don't go out to the towns in Saitama Prefecture. That does become a bit too countryside. But suburban Saitama is still good pricing and does give you that closeness to urban center feel. Um, And otherwise, yeah, Kobe and Fukuoka, I would say, from what you've described so far. Maybe Toshima, I would definitely go out there and have a look. Yeah, yeah. As as you talk about it, I mean, it it sounds like it's still commutable to Fukuoka, it's very that commutable is- to Fukuoka. It's just been, not just, sorry, three years ago, it was Monocle Magazine, I think, voted as uh, second place in nicest, smaller city to live in in the world, not even Japan. Um, it's really on the up and up. A lot of foreigners are moving there. There are multi-million dollar mansions in the mountain, but there are also quite affordable properties, if you don't mind distance, you know, immediate distance to station and so forth. But it's not walkable to the city you will have to commute 30 35 to 45 minutes to get to fukuoka but it's a single okay. train line and it's an easy enough ride okay so it's, you can still use public transit itself oh absolutely yeah okay. 
Um, can, can you give me a feel for what um, the prices of housing are like in those cities? And I think John also has a question. No, I just wanted to put a star by that. It, it, okay. it, and Fukuoka it has been growing in my mind, my interest area and even surrounding areas. So, yeah, prices, what, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, first of just to cap that off, I can say that the only reason we haven't moved to Itoshima is because we're reluctant to have a car. We prefer to um, ride our bicycle everywhere, and that becomes challenging when you're 35 to 45 minutes by train from the city center. But otherwise, it's a fantastic place. I definitely recommend it. Price-wise... Um, Suburban Fukuoka, if you're not looking for a brand new home, you can probably get away with what you're looking for for about 20 to 30 million yen. It's going to be something like maybe 20 to 30 years old, which is kind of the limit we'd recommend on purchase just because wooden homes deteriorate quickly. Um, out in Itoshima, again, it varies a lot. It could go as cheap as maybe 20 million, but again, it, the sky's the limit. Fukuoka, I'm, every, every big city in Japan, the sky's the limit. Um, Yokohama is quite expensive close to port, but as soon as you go three, four stations from center, it does get down to similar levels. And... Kobe will probably be a little bit more expensive just because the nice area is limited there. You don't want to go too far, again, beyond the mountain range. So I would say if you're buying secondhand, again, 20 to 30 years old, probably 35-ish if it's a nice house of the size you're thinking about. Okay. Or, the, or were you thinking, I'm just assuming, but were you thinking about a, a brand new home or close to it? I don't think so because we are just concerned that we we never know what's going to happen next with work and life. And there's always the chance that we, you know, we could be here long term. We love Japan. We would love to stay long term. But there's always the chance that that's just not possible. And if that's the case, then we have to eat that bill every month on top of more housing elsewhere. Yeah. The mortgage. You mean the mortgage bill? Yeah. 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 Okay. So that that's you know so that that makes us hesitant to you know even though we probably you know could qualify we're not sure that that would be wise. Yeah, yeah, I think it's just down to there's not a lot of places I would want to work here. Yep, and I think that's the challenge. Right. Um. Yeah. So I'd say if we're if we're sticking to that twenty to thirty year mark, I think most of the locations we've discussed would be somewhere between twenty to thirty five million. And so let's let's talk just briefly here. I I want to find out the twenty to thirty years. Um, I, I is this going to be a home that we can have for the next? 40, 50 years, or should we just realize we will have to be building a new home on it at some point? Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a rebuild. It could be just a very thorough renovation, and you would obviously be valuing the cost of that against the other and what you get for it. But generally speaking, when you hit about 40 years, I would assume you'd need at least a major renovation, yes. And those usually cost somewhere between... 10 to 20 million, depending on how fancy you go with them. And then a brand new rebuild is 20 to 25, maybe 30 million if it's particularly big or custom made. 
But okay. yeah, Japanese wooden homes, unless you buy them and they were just recently renovated, which obviously would bring the price up, then I would say at around 40, you'd want to give it a, a big spruce up. Okay. Is that because of cosmetic or is that because of structural? Um, not structural in the sense that it'll come crashing down on your head, but the roof will need work. Um, termite protection needs to be done more frequently and very much cosmetic as well. Yes. Okay. So, so what does it look like in buying a new home? Is that, is, is that, I mean, I can't imagine being able to buy a new home for the same prices. No, a new home would be somewhere around, if it's a custom, kind of the typical cookie cutter Japanese home that you normally see, that is about three, four bedrooms up to say 100, 10, 120 square meters or so, that would normally cost about between 20 and 30 again to build, plus whatever you bought the land for. Okay. And what, I mean, do you have any idea what the land prices are in those areas? Um, depends on the size of the plot, the exact distance from the station, the shape of the plot, and, you know, what you could potentially rebuild on it in the future, because zoning regulations have mostly changed since these older homes were built. Um, but... I don't know, like central Fukuoka, we've been seeing vacant land plots for anywhere from 50 to 100 million yen. Um, obviously, super central can go more than that. Those other locations, um, similar, I would say, all of the cities that we've discussed so far. Uh, in Itoshima, you can maybe get relatively cheaper land. It's still very much, a lot of it is still um, farm farmland-ish. So you could probably get a better deal, um, but Chiba as well, Saitama as well. But the bigger cities that we've discussed, probably similar. If it's super central, 50 to 100 million for the land plot. Um, or if it's suburban, anywhere from 15 to 40-ish, really, really varies a lot depending on the size, the distance, and whether it's rebuildable or not. Okay. Um, and then I guess we also were curious... Um, about what kinds of hidden costs of home ownership there might be here that we might not be aware of. I mean, obviously, there's property taxes and things like that. Um, well, property tax is pretty low in Japan. It's usually going to amount for these houses. It's going to amount to a few hundred dollars a year or so. Um, bigger the land plot, obviously more, but normally not more than 600 a year. Insurance is about, um, let's say, up to $3,000 or so for a period of five years. Okay. Um, otherwise, it's, ba I mean, there, there's municipal taxes, but there's not a huge amount of those in Japan. And otherwise, it's just, yeah, maintenance, renovations, repairs as they're required kind of thing. We normally assume... Once a house gets past 30, 35, if you're lucky, years of age, probably assume something like two to $3,000 a year for maintenance and repairs. And once it hits 40, 45, if you haven't renovated it, probably three, 4,000 bucks a year. Okay. And I mean, if you have a large, beautiful garden, there's obviously a lot of landscaping expenses and so forth. 
Oh, this is really good because this is the stuff that you don't see anywhere. You don't see on YouTube uh, is the yearly, the upkeep costs, the uh, you're going to have to renovate after X amount of time. It's mostly here's a steal. This is amazing. And, and you're putting real costs. Yeah, I mean, look, we're, we're conservative, too. So everything that I've just told you probably is going to end up being less. But because it sometimes does get to that, we just like to be a bit more realistic if we can. Sure. Um, did you have any other questions, John? No, I just want to go down to Fukuoka now and look at housing there. Yeah, but you're planning for our summer break from school now, I guess, for yeah. in Fukuoka. Oh, we're here. We're always happy to show you around, and we'll take you out to Itoshima too if you want. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I think at this point, I've, I've got to go digest uh, and, and really just get a feel for what those different areas are, but... Yeah, I mean, I'm assuming if we have any questions, we come and talk to you. I guess, what are next steps? That's probably a good question. Um, I think you're spot on there. I would go on a bit of a short country stint and just look at those places that we've mentioned, see which one suits you the best. Um, if Fukuoka is definitely on your radar, then maybe start here, because if you're like me, you probably won't look at other places after that. But um, if you do want to come here to Kyushu, just bear in mind, I'll personally, I'll be away from 25 July to 25 August or so. So just not during that month. No, no, I'll, 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 I think I'll do that. I'll look at what tickets are. I also have some friends who've moved out there and just love it. So, yep. yeah, thank you. I guess, yeah, thank you. Yeah, we really appreciate you taking the time and answering questions no problem. and, and no helping problem. us. We're always happy you know, to um, to talk shop. So feel free to, to like, um, hit me up with messages or emails. I'll always answer the best I can. But um, once you've decided on a location, then the next step would be to decide... Um, if you're okay working directly with a realtor and just want us to hold your hand along the way or if you want us to facilitate everything for you. But we, we can discuss that one we've, once we've chosen a location because that'll give me a better idea of how available I'd have agents. Because, for example, um, Tokyo to maybe Kobe is one thing, but Tokyo to Fukuoka, I'm not sure if there's Tokyo agents that would be doing that far. So let, let's decide first on where you want to buy and then we'll take it from there. Okay. okay. Sounds good. All right. Exciting Thank stuff. You. Good luck with the uh, tour. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Speak to you soon. All right. Bye. So there you have it. A nice broad conversation on all things related to relocating within the country itself. Home loans, rentals, you name it. Hope you found some value in this episode. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company and you've got any sort of business or visa related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com. And he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. 
do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think so leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store on Spotify or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode we love hearing from you hope to have you with us again next time and until then have a great day or night ahead you're the